0: I feel suddenly alone. (laughs) (laughs) Let us pray. O God, with hearts that are full of thanksgiving, for the abundance of your grace and gifts, for your immeasurable goodness, your unfailing love, and your constant care for your people. We give you thanks. For the worship that we have experienced, for the word that has been read, and now for the privilege of dividing it, receiving it, pondering it, and being challenged by it, we offer ourselves to you Speak, Lord, while your servants pause to listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me first of all begin by saying good morning to all of you. And thanking God for the privilege and opportunity to be here with you today. This is the third service today, one more tonight, and six more as the week unfolds. So uh, it's going to be a wonderful time in Houghton. I thank the pastor for the invitation. I thank all of the worship leaders, choir, and musicians for a marvelous and uplifting time of song. And especially uh, grateful to the pianist who gave us uh, just a closer walk with thee, I must Say, on the first few chords, uh, put me in the mind of George Gershwin. Um, Marvelous arrangement, marvelous musical abilities and insights for which I am deeply grateful. I want to begin today from Genesis 4 by reminding you that what is at stake in the text is an evasive question and not a clear and unequivocal affirmation. That what Cain is doing in Genesis 4 is not accepting responsibility for his brother, but evading and avoiding a question from God concerning his brother's whereabouts and well-being. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, I know people, I've heard people, I've read of people who take that not as a question. They've transformed it into an answer. They, they think that what the text says or that what they should be saying is I am my brother's keeper. They feel good about themselves in saying it, I am my brother's keeper. They stand tall and and boast about it. I I am my brother's keeper. Now the text doesn't say that. Cain doesn't say that. All that Cain is doing is slipping and dodging and avoiding and evading any responsibility whatsoever for Abel. All that he has said is, am I? Here's how the story begins and unfolds. Adam and Eve give birth to two sons. first one is Cain, the older brother, who goes on to have a career as a farmer, as a tiller of the soil. The second one is Abel, who goes on to be a shepherd or a herder of some sort, goats, lambs. He keeps the flock. As was the custom, they each bring an offering to the Lord. 10% of what God has blessed them to have, 10% of your flock, 10% 10% of your field and offering unto to God. For reasons that I will not begin to explain because I haven't got a clue as to why, God shows favor on the offering of Abel, on the shepherd. But does not seem to show favor on the offering of Cain. The tiller of the soil. Cain was the older brother. He probably was accustomed to having things his own way. So when God shows favor to his younger brother, Cain gets angry with God. How dare God prefer my brother over me? How dare God Show favor to Abel's sacrifice and not to mine. Now, since he was that angry, God says to him, if you've got got something to say to me, say it. If you want to ask me why I preferred what your brother did to what you did, get it off your chest, but don't brood about it because brooding about why God does one thing for someone and something else for somebody else becomes an opportunity for sin. Which is just what happens. Cain invites Abel for a walk in the field. And while they are there, Cain kills his brother. Driven by jealousy, He kills his brother. Driven by envy, he kills his brother. Driven by anger and rage, he kills his brother. Subsequently, God comes with a very direct question. Where is your brother? Now, this was rhetorical in every sense. God knew precisely where Abel was. God knew precisely what Cain had done. This was not an opportunity to inform God about anything. This was a chance for Cain To accept responsibility for his actions. An opportunity to be held accountable for his deeds. But instead of owning up to anything. He ducks. He dodges. He avoids. He evades with this question. Am I my brother's keeper? Abel was the shepherd. So Cain knew what keeping looked like. Keeping involved protecting one's flock from danger. Keeping involved keeping the wolves at bay. Keeping involved, being sure that the flock was fed and watered and nurtured and cared for. Laying one's life down for the sheep. He knew what keeping meant. And he asked this question, am I my brother's keeper? Hebrew word behind that word keeper. Shahmar. Shahmar. To build a hedge around someone. To keep someone encircled, enclosed, so that hurt, harm, danger cannot penetrate. It's the same thought that is in the book of Job. When Satan tries to bring Job down and cannot, and says to God, it's because you have him hedged in. You put your arms around him in such a way, I can't get to him. You are keeping him from me. But if you remove the hedge, I can remove Job from your side. You are Job's keeper. How do you answer this question? Am I my brother's keeper? Do you? Do you jump to the conclusion that you are? Now maybe you are if it is really your brother. Your flesh and blood, born and reared, eat at the same table, sleep in the same bed, grow up in the same household. Maybe you do keep your brother or your sister or your mother or your father or your son or your daughter your flesh and blood. There are some things we will do for our own family that we might not do for anybody else on earth. When I was a child, eight or nine years old, I wasn't six foot four. I was very short and very round And very slow of foot. I was a perfect target for older boys who in the winters of Chicago were looking for candidates to become Frosty the Snowman. (laughs) And they would find me and they would hold me down and they would cover me in snow and they would have the grandest time at my expense. Usually, I would just have to endure it. After all, I could hardly run away. But on one occasion, one occasion, things got a little out of hand and a little more than just fun and games. I was kind of being beaten up. And someone fought to call my brother, four years older a good deal taller not at all rotund and while I was his personal punching bag he would not allow anybody else the privilege (laughs) and he heard what was happening and from somewhere I don't know how he manifested himself But one minute I'm in the snow being beaten up and the next minute my brother is standing between me and them. Driving them off like a herder drives off the flock. And says to them, I can hear his words to this day. I don't want any of you ever again to bother him. And they never did again. Thanks be to God. I then turned to him, half shock, half amazement, half gratitude, half dismay, and asked him why he would do such a thing, why he would risk himself for my sake. His answer, as only my older brother could have coined it, was simple. I had to do it, fatso. <laughs> he had to get that in. I, I had to do it. He could have just said, I had to do it. No, 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 my brother, I had to do it, comma, fatso. <laughs> because you are my So maybe it is true that for our real brothers, our flesh and blood, live in the same house, eat at the same table, brother, maybe for them there are some things that we will do. The question for the day the question of the gospel is how far we allow the notion of brother or sister to extend. For whom will we go above and beyond the call of duty? For our family alone? For our neighbors across the street, but only them? For the members of our church, but only them? For those who live in our city, but not farther? For those of our ethnic group? or our racial group, or our economic class group, how far do we allow the notion of who is my brother, who is my sister, just how far do you take that? For whom are we willing to be held responsible? Or is it more convenient to just pick and choose Those for whom we will at least try to keep, but leave so many more off our minds, out of our hearts, without our love, without our care. You can't boast. I am my brother's keeper and then limit it just to the ones it is comfortable or convenient or socially acceptable to keep and ignore all the other needs around us. Most of what is wrong in the world, most of what the pastor was praying for is the result of our conscious decisions not to keep. Not to affirm someone as a brother or a sister. To draw some line of division between us and them and say, I will not love you. I will not feed you. I will not protect you. I will not care for you. In fact, I will rape you. I will shoot you. I will do all manner of evil to you because I don't see in you the same humanity that I see in myself. Am I my brother's keeper? It all depends on which brother you have in mind. The fact is, there are some folks I would love to have kept from some things. My own brother included. That's his heart now almost 70 years old. He was a Vietnam-era war veteran. Two tours of duty, 26 months, the kind of combat that he has never been able to discuss. Seeing things that those who were not there would never comprehend. His only delight in that 26-month experience, was one month of R&R that he spent in Hong Kong, at which time he bought for himself some electronic equipment, which was, in 1969, the state of the art. Turntables, speakers, mixers. It was the pride of his brand new apartment in Chicago on the day he gave himself a coming home party. And he had the music playing on his brand new, state-of-the-art electronic equipment. Oh, he was so proud of it. The next day, he went off to work. He came home. All of that equipment had been stolen. Someone who had come to his welcome home party came back to his home the next day and stole all of that equipment. Oblivious, I am sure, to the circumstances under which my brother happened to acquire it. They didn't care. They weren't his keeper. And he came home and saw all of this gone. On top of the scars and the psychological damage of 26 months of combat, there was the disheartening reality that someone close enough to be a friend, to be invited to the party, was willing to rob him of those goods. The two together, the war and the robbery, scarred him in ways that left him for me almost unrecognizable. If I could have kept my brother from that, I would have. Or my mother. When I was 10 years old, I came home from school and there was on the kitchen door a note that was addressed simply to the family. Not to my wife, not to my mother by her first name, in which case I would have left it alone. But it didn't say her name, it didn't say her title, it said to the family. Well, I was in the family, so I read the note in my father's handwriting, a note that said goodbye, good luck, can't stay, can't cope, took half the furniture, took most of the money from the bank account. And left my mother both in debt and with two sons, 110, 114. And she came home, finally. I showed her the note. And my mother did something that I have never seen her do before. Now, this is not to say she never did it. She just never did it in front of me. She broke out in tears. Sobbed uncontrollably. My mother leaned her head on my shoulder, pouring out her anguish. If I could have kept her from that, don't you think I would? I'm not my mother's keeper, I'm not my brother's keeper. I can love my brothers and my sisters. I can forgive them when they hurt me. I can care for them in times of need. I can support them, encourage them. But keep, Shamar, hedge them in so no harm can come, no. I can't hedge myself. much less somebody else. Is is there anybody here who, if you could, would have kept yourself from trouble? But you couldn't. Oh, about uh, 10 years ago, I went for my annual physical. And my doctor, at the end of the experience, performed that ritual to which all men look forward. He asked me to bend over, put on a glove, got some lubricant, performed an examination, and sent me home. A week later, he called me. Now, this is, this, it's never good when the doctor calls you. You can call the doctor. That's all right. But when, when, when the doctor decides to call you, You better wonder what's going on. And I did, and he said, I want you to come back in. I want to redo that exam. Because you've got what looks to us like prostate cancer. He tried to treat it as something else, but in the end, a month later, after other kinds of medicines, it was confirmed I had cancer. 55 years old, I had cancer. I got mad with God, I'll tell you. I I took God to task. I said, Lord, I'm out here for you. Writing books, preaching sermons, giving speeches, going all around the country for you. And this is what you give me. I told the Lord, I know at least 12 people who aren't doing anything. They have no agenda whatsoever. You could have given this to them, and if they had died, they wouldn't even have been missed. <laughs> this you give to me? But what I heard back from the Lord, and I heard it back in English not Hebrew, not Greek, not Aramaic, not Latin, English. Yes, yes, says the Lord. I did allow this to happen to you so that when I bring you through this, when I deliver you from this, you will be in an even better position to say to somebody else that while we are not each other's keeper, there is someone who is who can bring us through the hardest times of life, who can sustain us through the ups and downs of the human experience. Hence the story, the text, the affirmation of Jude. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, who can be your shaman. Somebody here knows what I'm talking about. Because you've been kept from something. You've been kept through something. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come, was grace that brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me on. I don't know why, before you ask me, why God doesn't keep us from everything. If God is such a keeper, why doesn't God keep people from earthquakes? Famines, floods. My hometown is Rochester. It's been a tough week in Rochester. A police officer was shot and killed by a man who wasn't even one month out of his last prison experience. The next day, two of the most prominent Citizens in the city were flying their own aircraft from Rochester to Naples, Florida. Something happened on board the plane. They crashed off the coast of Jamaica. Why didn't God keep all that from happening? Listen, the day I can tell you the mind of God, is the day that you won't need God anymore. Just call on me. I'll have all the answers. (laughs) I don't know why God does what God does or when God chooses to do it. All I know is there have been those moments in my life and yours when God has been a keeper. But even when God cannot do it, will not do it, does not do it, don't you volunteer for the job. You aren't your brother's keeper. You are your brother's brother, your sister's sister, your neighbor's friend. But the Bible is clear. Number six is clear. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Isaiah is clear. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Psalm 121 is clear. He that keepeth you neither slumbers nor sleeps. I know I've been kept by God. I'm standing in front of you because of the keeping power of God and God alone. Ten years ago, I was teaching at Ashland Seminary in Ashland, Ohio, which had an off-site location in Detroit, Michigan. And every now and then, we would go from Ashland, or I was living in Cleveland, up to Detroit to teach a class. It was a Friday afternoon, about 5 o'clock. I-75 North. Friday afternoon, 18-wheeled trucks everywhere, ripping by, blowing their horn, flashing their lights, just like they owned the road. Something happened to me. I either fell asleep or just lost my focus. I don't know. But my car drifted left into a cement road divider, I then bounced off of that and skidded with my brakes on across three lanes of traffic, left lane, center lane, right lane, and went head on into a steel girder, which was the only thing between me and an embankment about 10 feet down. If I had not hit right at that point, my car would have gone down the embankment, probably rolled over, I'd have been dead. Instead, the only thing that happened, no truck hit me, I hit no other car. The only, the only casualty was this. When my car hit the steel embankment, the airbag came out, and it broke my glasses. <laughs> no bones hurt, no body else involved. The only casualty was my car, which was totaled, and my glasses. So I called a tow truck. They took me to the uh, Detroit airport. They left my car there. I got my sunglasses, rented a car, went on and taught my class that night in my prescription sunglasses. <laughs> drove back home, asking myself the question how on earth did I survive? that. I only have one answer. You answered any way you want. My brother did not keep me. My mother did not keep me. My friends did not keep me. But I had a keeper who reached down in love and hedged me Are you your brother's keeper? Probably not. But aren't you glad that you and your brother and your sister and your mother and your father can be kept? Thanks be to God.